so guy nick mason sourceful of secrets of which we are um two-fifths right are we're going back out on the road in the summer across the uk we are we're, it's all of june so brace yourself what's it called it's called the set the control store what a brilliant name who do you uh, think could have come up with such a great name for a tour, Gary? I wonder. I think yeah. I'm looking at him, right? But then you I might. did come up with uh, Nick Mason's all sort of secrets. You did. And in fact, that came up in a podcast then because you were inspired by Woody Woodman's Is You Boat, weren't you? I was, yes. Anyway, anyway, but enough of that. So join Nick, Guy, Lee Harris, uh, Don Beacon and me as we celebrate the early years with, you know, that incredible, it's an incredible body of work, isn't it? The early Pink Floyd. It goes up to just before Dark Side of the Moon. goes up to 1972, with all the film soundtracks, all the Sid stuff, stuff you've never yeah. heard, stuff that no one's ever Echoes, heard, frankly. Obviously. Echoes is the big sort of, you and, know, uh, uh, what is that? What would you call it? Magnum Opus. Yeah, I love a Magnum, don't you? Yeah, I never met Magnum. Was he, was he, um, anyway, tickets are on sale now and you can buy yours at uh, myticket.co.uk. And Kilimanjaro Live presents Nick Mason's Sourceful of Secrets, the Set the Control Tour. Hi, Guy. Hi, Gary. We're together. We are together. This is weird, isn't it? I can I can touch you. I know. We're not on Zoom. We're, we're in real life. Yeah. And uh, I think this is quite nice. And, and uh, this was called by Paul. Which, this is, that's what's so nice. He insisted on being in the room yeah. where it happens. We made um, it work. So my dog's not going to be barking. The Amazon guys are going to be ringing on the doorbell. Well, we'll see about that. <laughs> but um, but this is a fabulous one today because it's someone we both know. I mean, yeah. I've you know, known Paul for many years uh, back when I used to do such things. He's someone I've propped up many a bar with. And yeah. uh, a more fabulous sort of, well, a companion. Well, I no, think the bass, well, you're bass players as well, aren't we you? Are bass so players. bass players always tend to sort of we coalesce. Do, although it's we? not something that we ever talk about. We've got so many, because Paul has this great love of all the stuff that we love, of that whole post-war thing of like Round the Horn and Tony Hancock and ah, yes. all that. A lot of which I think is uh, quite evident in his new album, yeah. which we're hopefully going to be talking about. Well, I'm in kind of different attitude towards him, really, because I have to say, I'm a, I'm, he changed my life. And we'll talk about that, and I'm sure I'll bore you with it again and tell you when I first saw him play live on stage. Yeah, I can't imagine where that was, uh, <laughs> but I'm sure we'll find out. No, no, listen, he changed my life, because you've got to remember, I just got my first bass guitar, and, and this was at a time when, you know, people became bass players because, because the band didn't have one, and it was the last thing left. And then suddenly these guys show up, and, you know, The Clash were, without a doubt, the coolest-looking band you've ever seen in your life. 100%. And the coolest-looking bloke in the coolest-looking band is the bass player. I know. That, so, so he changed your life, mate. Well, he changed did. And life. I don't think, you know, the emphasis on bass players and being how good-looking they were, you know, I mean, look, you know, John Taylor and Martin Kemp have all got well, him to thank. For, for I know that M Martin holds Paul as one of his great heroes, too. So I'm a little bit nervous. Also, you know, this is the man, the subject of, without a doubt, the greatest rock and roll photograph of all time. We'll get on to that. Welcome to the Rock on Tours. Okay, guys, I'm ready. But it's a big tune for sure. I actually wrote that originally for Tina Turner. Of course, I had gone and found Joni Mitchell down in Florida and brought her back. I've listened to a few of them and they've been really good, man. I'm sitting in the back of the car coming into London. They're brilliant. Thank you guys for still being around, still making music, still being into it and doing this podcast. It, it's uh, it's fabulous. Well, I get the feeling that us three should go for a pint. That's what I think. I'm in a band now. <laughs> it's called Roxy Music. You know this thing about the 10,000 hours of experience? Experience oh, yeah, to, to get good at something. When we recorded Arnold Lane, we'd done about 50 hours. The Rock Hunters podcast with Gary Kemp and Guy Pratt. Keep on rocking! Ah! Oh, welcome. Hello. Welcome. Hello. Nice to see you both. This is our first face-to-face uh, -face one we've done for so long. It's quite 
frightening. Yeah, is it? I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> well, especially if we haven't seen you for ages. No, not for you're a long somebody, time. You know, we've yeah. known you for a long time. And it's nice, and it's very, it's always nice and rare to have someone on. It was on my bedroom wall when really? I was there. I don't what, him, himself. Yeah. <laughs> what? Physically. Himself. Well, he was an art student. I think it was an installation thing he was working <laughs> on. <laughs> but listen, thanks for doing this. I mean, obviously, you know, like Guy said, you know, we'll get on to this, but you did partially change my life. And well, the clash certainly changed my life too. Yeah. Yeah. In lots of ways. In fact, really, I should really say, I sort of blame Mick Jones, really. But in fact, Mick Jones and Bernie Rhodes, because um, Mick had a band together, London SS. Yeah. And uh, on meeting Mick for the first time, I also met Bernie Rhodes. And after I left, Bernie Rhodes apparently said to Mick, get rid of your band and start a band with that bloke that just left. It's like Bernie's idea of mixing musicians with non-musicians in the same way that he got John Lydon to be the singer of the Pistols. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you uniquely, like everyone, I was like you said, you're, you're the one guy who actually went to art college to learn to paint. I wanted to be a... Rather than start a band. That's it, because growing up, every artist seemed to be called Paolo or Paul or Pablo. And recently I found out that Jackson Pollock's first name was Paul. So I thought, well, this is obviously my job. <laughs> but then uh, I got to art college, I got a scholarship, and I was having a problem with the college because they weren't... I really wanted to do life drawing because I wanted to learn how to look, which is what drawing should be about. And they say, oh, you don't need to do that. Just draw these squares and and uh, it's American abstract art. That's what we're into. So uh, after a year, I sort of ran into Mick Jones uh, at this rehearsal place. And um, basically, on after Bernie's comment about getting a band together. I hooked up with Mick and took my grant and vanished from art college. Hang on, we need to just Mick. set the Did scene. You have, yeah, you didn't have a bass at this. Did you have a bass? No, I didn't point? have a bass. Yeah. So I never played an instrument in my life. In fact, I got kicked out of music uh, music lessons at school. So it's probably a good sign so for the really, future, really. You had a lot, in a way, you had a lot in common with my brother who didn't play bass. We only put him in the band because he, he was the best looking bloke we knew, which is probably the same with Paul. And then I taught him the bass overnight. As much yeah, as I well, could. it's yeah. I learned right in the beginning. I learned a lot from well, Mick sort of showed me everything, to be honest. And uh, what made it easier, I actually painted the notes on the neck of the bass. So if Mick shouted in the middle of the song, A, go to A, B, go to B. Oh, Dave, Mick, yeah, B, ding. Did you did you keep that bass or did you smash it up at one point? Uh, no, I think I lent it to somebody else. I just sort of passed it on. Oh. Yeah. But you did bring a lot, but it's, it's very well, you didn't play an instrument, but you brought a lot of music with you, didn't you? Well, was, my was background was sort of uh, essentially, I, I mean, I grew up in Brixton and Labbert Grove, yeah. so uh, it was quite a strong, vibrant I mean, That's community. the ultimate box tick London upbringing, yeah, of course isn't it? Is. Really, well, right in there. a way, they invented yeah. that because there yeah. wasn't the box tick before they came along, well, and then yeah. suddenly it was Brixton but and Labbert Grove. It really helps a lot because of that background in so far as trying to practice bass playing along with the who, I could hardly hear what the bass, because it's so guitar and drums orientated, really, in sound-wise, sonically. Uh, whereas reggae, uh, was in that I just put the record on and, and play along to it and work out the lines that way. And yeah, and also it's a much deeper, you know, John Empress is always up the neck, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah, and it's a different thing. There's no bass in it. There's no bass in it, basically. Yeah, it's, it's, it's like a groove. It's almost um, like each bass line in Jamaican music, to me, anyway. It's a bit like it's how you move your feet. It's like how you dance to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. So was yeah. that the music you were buying? 
before? Uh, I wouldn't say buying because I didn't really have the money, but I'd be hanging out at friends and people would gather some income. To, or somebody just had a single or, or, or you go, I used to go to Strep Nakano in South London and that was like yeah. when you were too old for Saturday morning, morning pictures and, yeah, yeah. And, and too old to go to a club. It was sort of in between sort of place. And it was basically uh, packed with skinheads uh, a few girls up against the wall and just everyone having a punch up and they'd sort of played sort of Elizabeth from reggae you know yeah, sort yeah, of all yeah. those David Ansel sort of, Collins yeah all, all that stuff so uh, uh, but they closed it down after a month or two because it just got too out of control let's just mention London SS again because that's a sort of band that have gone into myth and legend because you can't even find one single song on the internet of theirs And but what were they was that a kind of was that directly influenced at that time? Was there a sort of influence from the New York Dolls? Oh, uh, definitely. Because when I w- walked in, it's like I couldn't really recognise anybody because their hair was quite long, and and maybe maybe uh, Brian James is probably one that had a bit more of a face that I could speak to. Right, right, right. Um, and yeah, it was very New York Dolls. Of course, because they wanted to do the damned. Yeah, yeah. But there was that one. Um, there was that one Vivian T-shirt, wasn't it? Which was like the statement of intent. This is before. Oh, that was one day you're going to. I was. Oh, okay. That was Bernie Rhodes' T-shirt because he used to work with Malcolm and Vivian. There you go. Right. And then they but parted I mean, company. As it came out under their label. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, one day you're going to wake up and know which side That's of the bed it, you're yeah. on. Yeah. And eventually uh, Bernie left them and, and decided to get organised, getting a band himself because they had the pistols in its early birth. Wasn't it Call Me Bernard? I'm not a cab driver, wasn't that? He was very heavy. I'm not a bloody cabbie. Yeah. That's it. <laughs> I suppose as well, the Ramones as well was... was that yeah, the, yeah, the Ramones was a really, really big influence. And um, yeah, I went to see them at Dingwalls and, uh, and actually I met them before they did their um, rehearsal sound check. And, um, yeah, I was with Keith Levine, who sadly oh, passed exactly. on. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, there's a picture of us with the Ramones outside, looking very happy that we were with the Ramones. Uh, then watched the concert, which is like, it was like, after every song, it was just like, one, two, three, four, straight into the next song. Straight into the next song. Mm. It was quite mind-blowing. Did you have a fight with J.J. Bernal at that gig? I I did. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yes, we've had one well, side of this. <laughs> well, okay. Well, I've actually anyway. I, I I did meet him years later, but this is a very strange coincidence. Uh, yeah, and I was walking at the at that time. I wasn't on the dole or anything, so I was sort of um, I don't know. I think when you're sort of malnourished, you tend to spit a lot. And anyway, I walked past him, and he put his foot out to try and trip me over, uh, and I sort of kicked his foot his foot away as I walked past and then he came up to me at the bar and started massaging his throat because that's what they used to do on stage when they were going to well, I think Hugh Cornwell might have done that They'd what ma- to work up a gob or, or something like yeah basically <laughs> yeah. oh those days oh yeah so, so while he was you doing you tell that to kids now I know <laughs> so, so while he was doing that I just gave him a right hook and he went flying across the tables and Malcolm and Bernie Rhodes were sitting there and started applauding. Next minute, I was grabbed, thrown outside by the bouncers. And strangely enough, no reason I understand why, but John Lydon was thrown out as well. So we were both standing next to each other going, um, what just happened? I said, oh, I just had an issue with somebody inside. Uh, and then suddenly, Bernal, he was chucked out as well. But then they had this 
these guys called the Finchley mob that used to follow them around. Oh, right, yeah, so yeah. they came out as well. So it was like, okay, so John's suddenly in the middle of something that's nothing to do with him. And then and I've got the Finchley mob and, and Jack Burnell, and we're sizing up to each other. I was unaware that he was a black belt, but that didn't bother me. <laughs> uh, and, um, and then suddenly the Ramones came out and said, what's going on? And, and that dissipated everything. Oh, and then God. when D.D. left, he gave me a, a, a miniature samurai letter opener. <laughs> so I don't know no, if that's for protection or a black belt in gobbing? <laughs> <laughs> but many years later, I was on a motorcycle on a Triumph uh, going up towards Primrose Hill and there was a, a fellow on another motorcycle. He was sort of going more or less the same route. And I looked over and said, oh, nice bike. And uh, he sort of thumbs up. And we kept going. And by the time we got to the traffic lights near Primrose Hill, he was alongside me. He went, is that you, Paul? I said, Oh, hi, Jack. Yeah. And we sort of shook hands and went our merry way. Amazing. Shit. I and mean, that, that is straight out of a movie, isn't it? Well, both on their Harley Davidsons or yeah. Triumphs. <laughs> Triumphs. 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 Even better. Yeah, even better. Um, were the pistols actually formed by by then? Yeah, oh, definitely. Because uh, how had you all found each other in the very... I mean, how you, you're, you're talking about all these people. You've got Keith Devine, you've got Mick. Yeah. You've well, all, what, what were you coalescing around to begin? Um, well, the thing is, I, I was at art college and a friend of mine, he went to art college because he wanted to be in a band. He said he ran into two guys in the street and they asked him if he was a drummer. Apparently he had drumsticks sticking out his back pocket or something. He said, uh, yeah, and they said, well, come to our rehearsal, we'll try you out. And these two people were Mick Jones and, and Tony James. Uh, and my friend said, he's going. He said, will you come along? I said, yeah, I'll come along as support just in case they're just as muscle or security or whatever. And we got there and that's where I met everybody. I met Bernie and and uh, and I did a, a trial run on a bit of... They said, oh, you're a singer? I said, no, I'm, I'm a painter. And they sort of said, oh, do you know this song? I said, no. It's like they're sort of like there's some song called <laughs> I'm a young barracuda and don't you mess with me. Uh, so anyway, it was a whole... It was a disaster. Uh, but I think they sort of liked the way I looked. And then I went up to Bernie. I said, so are you the manager of this band or something? He said, why? What's it to you? And I thought, oh, not much. And, and then left and my friend didn't get the job. And uh, and then somehow I met up with Mick in the street and it continued. He, he knew Keith Levine and it was like about trying out with Mick, learning to play bass, really. He did try guitar with me. At first, but it was taking too long because because the, London was just pub rock at that point, wasn't it? With all these bands yeah. being sort of you know boogie woogie, which is where Joe was. Right? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so um, and I guess you know Mick knew um, Glenn Glenn Matlock and and it's sort of I don't know we used to just sort of hang out. I suppose probably like you're saying, sort of like if there's like um, uh, Dr. Phil Goodon, you'd go there yeah, yeah, yeah. and you'd see those faces or yeah, like yeah. Alex Harvey was another amazing That's right. I remember, artist. I remember at the time Eddie and the Hot Rods were, were doing a little bit of stuff as well. There was this high energy music. That was yeah, but it's like Kilburn and the High Roads uh, in Jury and Dr. Phil Good and Alex Harvey were the main ones. And so I used to run into these characters at these shows. So I suppose it was creating a bit of a scene and I suppose Mick, Mick would pop down to... Uh, Kings Road pop into Vivian, the Malcolm shop, um, probably run into Steve, and, and I started hanging out with Steve, 
Jones because he lived, he had a flat in Soho. So, yeah, I don't know. It yeah. sort of ended up being at the same parties and. You know. But what were the clothes you were wearing? Because that obviously they were get, starting to be dressed up by by. Well, they were being dressed by no. um, Vivian, and which think, was still as is a point. People, which was a designer clothes shop at that point. That stuff was really expensive. Yeah, yeah. yeah and know. the thing is, it was no no good for us to wear that stuff. Otherwise, yeah. we'd look like the pistols. But because of my background, growing up growing up on Lebert Grove. Um, the market stalls were, there was sort of second-hand clothes available. In fact, I remember my mum, my parents were separated, my mum gave me, gave my dad five bob to buy me a school uniform. Uh, the badge cost four bob and the, and, the, and the jacket cost a shilling. So basically it was oversized, but I sort of pretended it was a drape <laughs> and wore a black shirt with my black and yellow striped school tie. So it was about making do with what, was there? So I remember when I was eleven, and I got my mum bought me a pair of school trousers to go to my new senior school, and they were they were about four sizes too big for me because she wanted me to grow into them. <laughs> so I went into school so embarrassed, and I told everyone they were parallels. Oh well, there you go. Bowie <laughs> <we> pegs. <laughs> that's well, that's yeah. it. You put you convince yourself in, with your imagination. Yeah, that that's what it is, and, and in some ways, that's what it becomes. But you're right. But that whole second hand. I used to work at a second hand shop up the top of Rip at Portobello Road, and it was. All the um, and a lot of it was new stuff. All the fifties stuff that you could get here was fantastic and, and dirt cheap. And dirt cheap, yeah. But it's like getting secondhand suits with straight leg trousers. But those um, they were everywhere because nobody wanted them. Yeah. Everybody was wearing flares in those days. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I did uh, see a picture of you around the time. It might have been at that Ramones gig, and you actually you had t you, st but it was obviously a skinhead rather than a hippie thing. You were wearing tie dye at that time. Oh uh, no, yeah. what that was? I know that was like. a Blue shirt with a, a suit or something. Yeah, yeah. So what, what happened? Did, did the pistols form and then you started going and then you thought, well, let's let's we need a we need a singer. It was, and it was sort of happening. Well, the pistols was probably about a year or six months before us, and uh, we sort of followed along. Yeah, yeah. In, in the wake of getting our own thing together, I suppose getting Joe was the big step, wasn't it? Yeah, we, we saw Joe perform and thought he was brilliant, but his band is sort of it was a bit hippie-ish and. Uh, anyway, we ran into him in the street in Portobello. Mick said, oh, you're really great, but your band's rubbish. And in the end, we said to Bernie Rhodes here, we want to get Joe as the singer. So Joe approached Bernie and said, uh, I'm forming this band to challenge the Pistols. By this point, Joe had already done two shows uh, with the Pistols at the Nashville Rooms. Oh. So he was aware that there was uh, a, a new uh, idea coming through music. Because Keys uh, to Your Heart isn't that far away from what ends up as Joe in The Clash, is it? Really? Yeah, in some ways, yeah. There's, there's elements there. Uh, and in the end, Bernie said, right, I'll give you 48 hours to decide and then I'll give you a call to see if you're in or not. And then after 24 hours, Bernie said, listen, I can't wait for the other <laughs> yeah. 24 hours. Are you in? And Joe said yes. Because isn't there, there's also, I seem to remember a story about it was some of you we're at the Dole office at the same time as Joe, and there's this thing of being in the queue and just sort of eyeing each other. Yeah, we're well, looking at Joe right. going, yeah. like, he's, yeah, oh, that's Joe from the, because we'd just seen him the night before. And he was looking at us thinking, um, mm, and he, he did say that he thought that he'd hit Mick first because he was just the lightest <laughs> and, and, and leg it for me because he Mick thought I looked first, a bit too then, tasty. Yeah, he did to look a bit with. tasty, yeah, yeah, yeah. That other guy's a bit big. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> Did they start writing straight away, Mick? And straight away. Well, they um, Joe had some song, obviously from the 101ers, and Mick had a few a few songs. And basically, Joe didn't want to play any of his songs. So in a way, all, 
it all started uh, essentially from Mick's songs. Yeah. I mean, Mick had a song called I'm So Bored With You. And Joe misheard that and thought, wow, that's like, wow, that's a good idea. But he thought it said, like, I'm so bored with the USA. Fantastic. And anyway, and with Bernie's encouragement, uh, it, it sort of developed. And yeah, I mean, I was still learning how to play bass, really. Um, so do you remember the first gig? Yes, I do. It was in Sheffield and Mucky Duck. And uh, we had Keith Levine with us uh, as well at that right, time. Yeah. And, um, it was a five-piece, yeah. Yeah, that was the first time I'd been on stage. So it was a bit terrifying. But I, um, yeah, I sort of distracted myself on, on the, in the back of the van. Which had, uh, we were sitting in the back of the van. The, the back door was open. And I had Keith Levine's plimsoll on a piece of string and, and let it out so we'd watch it bumping up and down. Unfortunately, it was a big cure of traffic because they couldn't get past this better string with his plimsoll bouncing. <laughs> so, so that distracted me, and then suddenly the time came on, came to come on stage, and uh, and in some ways it was like being in rehearsals. It felt because I was wasn't on my own. I was with Mick and Joe, and and then there was one. We had one song called Listen. Uh, where it sort of goes and it's and then the song starts. So but when I played it I went running out of notes and Joe was laughing and anyway. And was the Bromley contingent there? They they hadn't come up. No, not up in Sheffield. there was a handful of people there that watching the show because um, I saw your second gig. I know you did a gig in between, you did a sort of private gig. But I went to did I tell you this? Have I ever told you that I went to the screen and the green to see the clash, the sex pistols, and the buzzcocks? I was 16, changed my life. But I somehow I've, I've sadly erased uh Keith Levine from my memory because I, I didn't remember it was a five piece. What I do remember yeah. is when you came on and you came on after the buzzcocks, is you had boiler suits on with paint splattered like Jackson Pollock all over That's it. it yep. And your legs were so wide apart, akimbo. And it just looked, and the guitars were so low. And it was the most exciting thing I'd seen since. Yeah. Well, well you, you have to stand like that with a bass. It's bloody heavy. Are <laughs> 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 yeah, you taking notes? <laughs> I'm taking notes. I've been taking notes for years, mate. <laughs> um, and it was, it was, it was extraordinary for me. I got invited along by Steve. I'm going to tell this story quickly. Go on, so you, by, can, by, say, by, you can tell it to him. What happened is that was the <laughs> assistant manager of the screen on the green was a, was a guy who used to work at our school, Steve Woolley. He used to go to our school. And, uh, and he said, you've got he to come along Steve to Woolley. this. And he, he became Steve Woolley. He did the Palace Pictures. And, uh, and of course, the Buzzcocks came on, which were great, you know, but they were sort of art school, you know. Um, but it was you. When you walked on, that... That look, that energy. I had a lot of glam rock feel to it in, in many ways. But it was also the sort of, you you were pretending you didn't care, but you really fucking cared. Well, we yeah. cared about staying in tune, that's for sure. Um, I know, because I've heard, the t I listened to the tape the other day, there's lots of tuning up at the beginning, which I didn't remember. Yeah, well, I, I, I was lucky because I had Mick to help me tune up. Mick would come over and tune the bass for me. So. But what was odd about that gig? If people look back and imagine punk of everyone po going around and going crazy. They were people were just sit, 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 seating. Sit, yeah, no, people seated. were sitting down like they was at the cinema. Massaging their throats. Matinee. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was a strange kind of audience to play in front. Yeah, um, yeah. I think the um, I think the Buzzcocks um, they were amazing, and I remember we did some quite early shows with them, probably around about the time that you're talking of, and uh, they came on 
as the support band and, and they had like Mondrian shirts. Oh, right. That's right. Brilliant. That's a, yeah, and then we yeah. came on with the Jackson Pollock shirt. So it's like, oh, this is neat. But it's true. But it's always art, isn't it? That's the funny that runs through it. It's that whole art school. And it got, you know, from Bowie and the Who through Roxy and everything. You know, it's always art. It's yeah. always art. Well, that's school, the thing. It? It's like you said earlier. It's like, you know, Mick, well, many people went to art college to get a band together. Yeah. And as you said, yeah, I, my intention was to paint pictures. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready get 30, ready get 20, 20, 20, ready get 20, 20, ready get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. This episode of Rock on Tours is sponsored by AG1, the daily nutrition supplement. AG1 is a comprehensive and convenient blend of over 70 vitamins, minerals and other vital ingredients like gut-friendly bacteria, antioxidants and much more. Just one scoop of AG1 daily has all the nutrients you need to support your mental performance, energy levels, heart health and immune system. To be honest, it's pretty vital stuff for us because when you've got a life on the road and you're short of time or you're too busy to plan and prepare healthy meals, you're getting your podcast together, you're being shouted at and it's just a nightmare. AG1 gives me all the good stuff and helps keep my energy levels where I need, ready for showtime or doing the podcast and with a nice vanilla taste. It keeps me focused, feeling good, feeling healthy with its daily dose of vitamin C and zinc. And it's so easy to use. Just one scoop a day gives me over 70 carefully selected ingredients. Simple. Trusted by Olympians, F1 drivers and the rock on tours. So if you want to replace your multivitamin and more, start with AG1. Try AG1 and a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first subscription. Go to drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. That's drinkag1.com slash rockonteurs. Check it out. And I feel like I want to just jump quickly to talk about London, uh, London Calling cover at this point. Oh, no, yeah, because, uh, yes. Which uh, is... Only because of the art school connection between Pete and Paul. Both of them went to art school. Both of them decided to smash the Well, that's the true. Guitar. Well, Pete comes from Gustav uh, Metzer who was the artist who used to have the auto-destructing pieces, who came, and yes, went, yeah, came to yeah, Indian yeah. Art College. Yeah. You, also, you told me this story once well, years ago. I don't want to steal your thunder. I don't know if you said um, it, it was basically, I think you were trying to impress your girlfriend. No, 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 like, no, no, but it wasn't that. No, but the, the but point of what I love... suggested that. Is, right. No, no, but messed it, up, what I love yeah. is, is the actual... You, know? you, you did say that it was at the point where that picture's taken, you know, arguably the greatest rock photo 100%. of all time. 100%. The, 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 the point, I think it's just before that picture is taken that you've realised it's not your spare. <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> See, you already told me things. It was like, listen... You told me this, this is late at night no. in a bar somewhere. Okay. Well, no, <laughs> basically, uh, in London... We decided that it wasn't a good idea to play 
places with seats uh, because then it causes friction between the audience and the bouncers. Uh, so when they used to be a whole thing, didn't it? Like the like especially in Glasgow places, the bouncers were a between, tribe yeah. of, of them, like a gang of their own. Uh, so so being in New York, everyone was forced to sit down and not get up, and and also the sound was rubbish. And really, in in death frustration, really, I just like just reacted in that way. Oh, so this wasn't like a regular occurrence of smashing up a bass. No, did. definitely not. It's a one-off. And she caught it. I mean, well, you, you had two, right? You only had two bases. It wasn't yeah, like only a, had two. It wasn't a built yeah. into the, you know. No. But probably asked, if there yeah. was going to be one picture from rock and roll, yeah, it would be that picture. It is that picture. Also, because I've seen it, I've been to the exhibition, I've, I've, and it's it's the most perfectly broken bass, of, you know, and like as an art piece. It's so perfect. Yeah, I well the, these days when I look at it, it sort of it seems like it's some sort of religious relic. Or it's, it's exactly <laughs> it's piece exactly of cross. what it is. It's, <laughs> yes, exactly. exactly that. But yeah, that was just sort of frustration, temper, and I mean, just to give you an example, I, I know when I was a kid, I living with my mum, I had this sort of clock radio that I really treasured, and uh, and it woke you up in the morning with the radio, and it was like amazing. Now I was having some argument with my mum, and and in desperation, I just well, not desperation, but in frustration, I, I picked up the radio alarm clock and just threw it through the window. And we were living on the fourth floor up, and that was the end of that. So just shows you I tend to sort of take it out on things that belong to me. Yeah, I think rather than just a telly, it's something yeah, or, or, valuable or other and precious. people. Yeah, yeah. I remember, um, didn't, um, what's his, that guy's name from Sniffing Glue? Perry? Mark Perry. Mark, Mark Perry, Perry yeah. who... Uh, He's, he was really pissed off when you signed to CBS. He said, Punk died the day The Clash signed to, to CBS. But of course, you had to get your music out there, didn't you? Well, that I mean, was, there was that uh, kind of well, attitude, though, uh, wasn't there? Yeah, well, I, I, well you know, it is, that's his thoughts, and that's fine. He's entitled to that. But for us, we wanted our record to be in every shop around the world, yeah. really. Yeah. You know, it wasn't just to sort of keep it a local thing. It was to, for the globe, really. But also the managed that you managed to maintain this what seemed incredibly combative relationship with your label. I always love that thing on London Calling, where on the you got the list of credits and then it says CBS and it's like just it's yeah. like like jail sort of time scratching. But, where it's like three down, two to go. Yeah, but you have to understand <laughs> that because of initially with Bernie's involvement in the beginning, it was all in house. I mean, I remember after we signed, I was taken up to the art department and, and the guys presented me with what our album cover was going to look like. And, and it was basically, it was a pair of old boots, not even Dr. Martin's, on a northern cobbled street. And that, that I said, well, that's very nice, but um, use it for somebody else because we've got ours done already. Because me and Bernie used to work in the beginning on a lot of stuff for the artwork and backdrops and stuff like that. I think, yeah, because the backdrops and the and the, the, the films were your idea, weren't they? I mean, well, the first time I saw you was at the Lyceum and it was on that. Yeah, that, that which was, was me amazing. Me and Bernie working that together. That was brilliant, all the but war the one, films playing at the back. Well, the good thing about working with Bernie on these things, um, we decided, because one of the backdrops was sort of like a Stuka flying through the air. Uh, and, and on the other side was a grandmother sitting at home watching te television with her knitting. So I said, yeah... Yeah, okay, Bernie, yeah, so, um, yeah, we'll put that backdrop of the grandmother on Mick's side <laughs> then, and the Stuka on my side. So so you see photos of Mick playing guitar with a grandmother sitting watching television in the background. But it's funny just, how that's that's, a th that's the just, theme that you've always carried through because then, like, with... Um, well, he was living with his then, nan. But then you had, so. went for, had that, that whole U-boat crew look that you... Yeah. That's right, because your, your uh, Mick's nan's flat was the scene of a famous photo shoot, wasn't that's, it? Yeah. 
So, yeah, it was just... So yeah, so as far as backdrops were concerned, you had the Notting Hill Carnival at one point, didn't you, as well? Yeah, we did, Because yeah. I saw you at the Rainbow um, in 78, 76, yeah. 77, and uh, when all the chairs got ripped up. That's it, yeah. Terrifying thing ever. I don't know, I, didn't, I don't think I was that scared at the point in time. I just thought it was just unbelievable, all these chairs being thrown around while you were on stage. But it, I think it was the Notting Hill Carnival. That's it, the backdrop, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, uh, a guy called Rocco McCauley, a, a Spanish friend of Strummer's, yeah, he took that photograph during the riots. And uh, well, that's just, iconic just, just to mention this single, and I'm pissed <laughs> off with this, because 1977 White Riot, I think, was absolutely phenomenal double A-sided record when it came out. And I was convinced that I've got the cover where I think it's Mick and you guys all with your back, up against the wall. Up against yeah. the wall. Guns with and White, that no, with White Riot and 1977 written on the back of your jacket. Yeah. I'm looking everywhere for it yesterday. So my brother has stolen it, right? So there were two copies in our house, right. one of which he bought and one of which I bought, which is the original cover. And I ended up only finding this beauty, which you, you know, I'm going to get you to sign something later, Paul, okay. definitely. But um, I mean, I just thought it had something about this summed up where the clash was going to go. You know, White Riot was... It was going to. It was going to be more political than the Sex Pistols. More political than the Buzzcocks. Uh, and that was jo where Joe was. Joe was. You know, they, they, playing anti-racism gigs. Wasn't, it wasn't thinking about like we're going to be more political. It's just that it's like the thing is. Well, I'll put it this way: from my background, there's um, a lot of Jamaican music, West Indian music, is orientated like making social commentary. As was so people like the kinks in some ways, you know. Uh, so that was sort of um, an element of, of music. that, and, and like Joe was really into Woody Guthrie and, and people right, like yeah. that. And, and so it was, it, was, it was not like, it was like personal politics, not <coughs> political politics. But know. I think the comment with White Riot was, well, there's just been this big riot with the black community in Nottingham yeah. Carnival in 76, and it was... Come on, white kids! You know what are you doing? You know? Yeah, that's yeah. And but, but and the other one, nineteen seventy-seven, where you say no Elvis Beatles or the Rolling Stones. Of course, I'm. You know, we still have the Rolling Stones. But is it yeah. true? It, um, because I never heard this. Because in um, Chris's book, or in one of the books, uh, he says that actually at gigs, sometimes Joe used to sing no Elvis Beatles uh, or Rolling Stones, but John Lennon rules. Okay, that's where people used to say he says that. I'm not saying. I don't recall. Joke because he was always a that in. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But he used to move pretty fast, Joe. <laughs> yeah, but, but it's quite was a mouthful. It was a carrying call, you know. It said to all of us, yeah. young kids, you know, your older cousin's record collection. Yeah, and well, I remember but, going yeah. down to Cheapo Cheapos in Soho and selling every record I had, apart from my punk records. It was great. Yeah. I've spent the rest of my life trying to buy them Cheapo, all back. Cheapos. I was going to say, I was gonna, is that true? Because you seem to have a pretty good collection when we. No, had it's on. not quite true. <laughs> there were a few I sneaked in and I kept. I left behind, but. Uh, I did try and get rid of a lot. Yeah, it yeah. was. It, yeah, no, it was everything had to go. You know, it was it was an amazing time. Well, and, and now moving on, we're still here and making records. And let's talk about this, because the four tracks that we've been allowed to hear. Yeah, which tracks did you have? Uh, we had "Room at the Top." Oh yeah, yeah uh, okay. "Habia" sort of. Theory, but yeah. I feel yeah. like we need to describe this album a little bit. We're going we? we're going to do that. I'm just going to tell the, Paul the, what we've heard. Ah, okay. This is this is for Paul's benefit ah. more than our audience. Um, sea Shanty. Oh yeah, yeah. And Ghost Town, not Ghost Town, but um, is it called Ghost Town? Maybe somebody lumped that on there, and it's 
It's the, uh, the one about, it's, it's clearly, it's, it's about, you know, the one, it's so, it's so lovely about uh, the, the town being. Oh, empty. yes, Lonely Town. Another town. Another town. town. No, it's Lonely Town, isn't it? There's Lonely Town, yeah. And they all come back. Yeah. There's a lovely lightness to that. Because I know, I hope you wouldn't take this the wrong way. Because I know how much we had long chats about Tony Hancock and that whole thing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because I, I was suddenly put in mind of the sort of thing that Sid James and Liz Fraser would do. Yeah, you know. that, well, it, it's like, yeah, you know, like Anthony Newley. I actually yeah. love Anthony Newley. And, and so all, all that background. And like you say, the Bernard Cribbins and, and all that stuff. That's, yeah. that's what we used to listen to on the radio when we were kids growing up, that's which right. they sort of deemed sort of kids' music. But um, digging this song, there's yeah. Uh, but it's, well, it's, there's, it's actually, there's a song that Sid James and Liz Fraser did as a duet, which my dad wrote called Double Bunk. Which right, is okay, which is so great. funny, isn't it's it? It's so funny, yeah. I think there was probably a film called that as well. That's right, it was from a film, right. yeah. There's also elements of sort of, I thought it was elements of Serge Gainsbourg. In oh, there. yeah, there's oh, definitely, Serge oh, no, no, Gainsbourg. all sorts. Par- this is where we point out. So, this is the album that Paul's just done with um, Gallon Galloneers, yeah. Um, and it's yeah it's, we did a collaboration with Tony Visconti producing yeah. with yeah. a stellar cast of really brilliant cast support musicians and I've got to say a, be- a really beautifully arranged and recorded album it's like the, the arrangements are so tight and so lovely. simple yeah it's really, well it's... me and Gallon spent ages well she was in Hydra in Greece and she came over and and I got back from being in Spain and by chance my friend said oh she's staying at my place and we met up and uh, we talked about doing music together. Uh, I mean, it's a bit more of a story to it, but I'm simplifying it. Uh, and uh, she had some songs, I had some songs. We just put them together and wrote some new songs and kept challenging each other. I think the first thing we agreed on, that if we're going to work together, it's best that we'll just be as honest as you can. Mm-hmm. So, so you'd, all, you'd gone down to Mallorca, hadn't you, for the pandemic? Is this day? Well, is it day? Yeah, it was day. I thought, yeah. And, and uh, well, actually, I was here on, on the first stint of the pandemic hence the, that comment about walking down Park Lane with me eyes closed. Yeah, uh, and then, and then, and then summer turned up and I thought, okay. JJ so Burnell was coming the other way with his eyes closed. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I went to Spain uh, and uh, had my two little dogs with me. And, um, and then, of course, it was like time to go back. And I thought, almost, my son was living at my place and he needed somewhere to stay. And I just stayed out there and just worked, painted, uh, Carving and writing songs. It's the dream, mate. What are you talking about? Well, it, it's, yeah, but I was in the middle of well, nowhere. It is if you choose it, but if you're, yeah. Yeah, it depends events. where you, listen, yeah. it, it all sounds very idyllic and wonderful, but if 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 your head's not quite there, yeah. it's then it, it could be like the best place There's in element, the world. Elements of sort of Leonard Cohen on Hydra about what you're dis- how you're describing it. Though. You've got Leonard oh, Cohen well, there, you've got Kevin Ayers down there. Well, Kevin Ayers oh, yeah, also, yeah, yeah, I can hear bits of yeah. Kevin Ayers in Well, in that's, that. I mean, there's obviously, there's a strong element because uh, connections with Gallon, with Dea, and obviously her father, um, Kevin, and Leonard Cohen, she lives in Greece. Yeah. Uh, but what I'm talking about is the songwriting process or just being on your own for a long period of time. You know. And were you writing these songs with the idea that you were going to put them out one day, or was it? I was really just writing just... it. It was just uh, an outlet. Because your other, you know, because I know you, you know, you're painting a lot all the time, and yeah. and but is writing something that's always there for you? Or it's yeah, uh, and it's it's just another form of art. It's all art yeah. at the end of the day. Uh, I mean, you know, it's trying to 
tease lyrics out, out of oneself, it is a bit like squeezing a pebble. It's not easy. When were you first allowed to do that? Were you ever allowed to do that in The Clash? Well, to, guns, what? to write your own well, to write like guns of, guns uh, of Brixton was the... yeah I, I did write stuff but as I said in the, in the beginning I spent too much time time trying to to, to learn how to play mm. you know and it's only like like you mentioned like sort of I mean I tackle a few ideas but it's only sort of the guns of Brixton that then suddenly I sort of found and how did that come place. was that was that just like the one time you thought I've got something and this is strong enough and well I just had the bass line and in in, uh, in rehearsals I used to play that and they used to play along to it and, and then eventually I sat down and put some words to it I, I it's one of those so. it's like uh, it reminds it's like um, Jar Wobble with Public Image it's one of those just perfect yeah things. and yeah Wobble's brilliant yeah um, we love Wobble but what, what I, so I just have to ask you know Norman Watroy plays the bass on Magnificent Seven how, does, how did that feel for you that was that was an odd oh, situation it, well, it's, it's, uh, I thought it's quite a smart move really and in some ways I think like when you think about the Gorillas, like Damon Albarn's uh, collaboration with Jamie um, what's interesting they're always having different musicians involved mm -hmm. so it's not set sound it, it goes all different directions sure. And anyway, I, I was sort of in Vancouver um, being involved in a film, so I couldn't be there. Uh, and they were in New York and Norman was around and they got Norman in, which is brilliant. And it's, the only thing is, I when you're playing live, you have to play that bass line. Yes. So, you know. That, no, but it's a brilliant I, I've stepped for Norman with the blockheads. I've had to play Hit Me With Your Rhythm Stick with no rehearsal. Right, okay. Mate. Yes. Yeah, Norman's <laughs> so, amazing. So let's just... Let's, how did the album come together in the end? So you come back. You just well, start. I came back and, and I ran into Gallon and uh, she needed somewhere to stay. I said, all right, you can take the middle floor of my place and I'll have the top floor. And just every evening we'd sit down at the, the kitchen table and because I don't have a TV, uh, it was like, right, what should we do? Right, well, there's a guitar, let's just write some songs and, and it worked that way. And we got a few people in, Dan Donovan, for example, to bring in some gear so we could do some recording some demos sent them to tony visconti now this was how did tony visconti come on well board? tony visconti turned up uh because i worked with him before uh with damon when we did our project the good about the, the queen, queen of course, on yeah. maryland uh at that point damon said paul if we don't get a producer we're gonna spend another 10 years mm -hmm. uh with suddenly 200 songs uh, mm -hmm. So we need to put something out and we need a producer. I said, I've got someone in mind. He said, who? I said, Tony Visconti. He said, right, you get him and we'll use him. And then Tony came in. And the great thing about Tony is that he turned around in the middle of it, of recording, and with this record, he said, listen, I'm only here to help you make the record that you want to make. Because it's not like a Tony Visconti record, is it? No. All? So he's guiding us, saying, oh, have you thought about this? And, and we would have laughs. He said, oh, you know this bit, Paul, at the end, um, I've got an idea. It'd be nice to have some cellos on there. And I'd go, you know what, Tony, that's a really good idea, but you should save it for your album. Yeah. So we'd have these bands. So it's like really good. But no, well, I would say, what is Visconti-ish about it is the fact that they are such tight, that the, 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 the kind of tidiness and sparseness of the arrangement is actually quite reminiscent of what he did with T-Rex. That sort of yeah. perfect, you know, just perfect parts yeah. and yeah. Not, not a lot of them. <clears throat> well, that's... Well, that's um, Obviously, you know. we grew up with him as one of our favourite producers, yeah. didn't we? Yeah. Um, but in, in terms of the writing, with me and Gannon, it was like 50-50. It's like, okay, and we'd hear sort of rough things that we did in the demos pre-Tony turning up. 
uh, and were cutting and shaping things all the time. Just uh, is that bit really necessary? So it was, yeah. One of the most that's, beautiful things on the record is the melodica. Oh, well, that's... Which is that's, Damon Albarn. Yeah, 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 yeah. And it's just, that just adds a complete unique sound to this... That's it. ...some mournfulness about that melodica. Well, it's, it's Augustus Pablo, isn't it? It's yeah, that, but also it's an element from. of that, but also it's an element of, of like, like cumbia. Mind you, that's oh, usually right. yeah, an yeah, accordion. Yeah, yeah. But, yeah, yeah. But the melodica has that sort of sound quality. Or like sea shanties, for example, have that sort of uh, sound with an accordion or a squeeze box. So the, yeah, yeah, so the melodica true. doubles up for that as well. Was you that, also because you and you you and the, this thing that seems to sit really well is is like using scarves, especially and the spaghetti western type guitar, which is clearly you. There's a lot of it. Sounds, some of it sounds like it's a Fender Six, one of those. Sort of, yeah, Tony, it's really quite low. Yeah, Tony Visconti, because yeah. I was trying it on the guitar to play those lines, and he said, "Have you ever heard of one of these?" What six string bass or something? Yeah, like. and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's not. And a, he got one in, like and well, actually, Damon had one in the studio, uh, and, uh, and and I tried it. It's like, wow, this is amazing. It's like, sort of made me think of sort of like Lee Hazel, early, yeah, early Lee Hazel, Hazel, yeah, 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 yeah exactly, and, and all that. And so, yeah, I love playing that. Well, in fact, in Get Back, the Beatles thing, John is that's what John's playing when he's playing bass when Paul's playing the piano. Yeah. Trivia yeah. fans, and but the the whole album has a kind of sorry. I just want to go on yeah. about m m melodica. Was was that uh, Dame's idea or was that your idea? Did you say I wanted? Do I, that? I said well ages ago, Damon was sort of saying, oh, you know, like nobody ever asked me to come and play on their record with my melodica, and I said, well, listen, if I get a record, <laughs> I'm gonna. I saw him in the street. I, I, I'm going to. I'm crying. going to ask you. And uh, and then so I phoned him. Okay, I need you to come into the studio, and uh, you need to do some melodica. So he came in. I said, right, this song's called Sea Shanty. Yeah, I want it sort of like sort of nautical, and and he went right. Okay, and then oh, I went yeah. back in again in, in 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 the same session, and said, yeah, Damon, could you make it a bit like this? And he said, oh, Paul, I'm not very good at taking directions. So I said, oh, great, thanks for telling me now. <laughs> but we. We we got some really great stuff. He, really, he, yeah. Well, the but you you've got such a kinship because you worked together for so yeah. long, haven't you? Yeah. You must, you know. but, but the album's got this kind of European feel to it, hasn't it? For I sure, mean, it's yeah. definitely, definitely pan-European. Yeah. yeah. You know, obviously, because there's that element of your childhood, isn't there? As well, was it Siena? You were. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Um, but uh, but also like Gallon's. Uh, well, uh, uh, it is Mallorca, more Mallorcan actually. Uh, there's all slight different variations. Like English has. What's no? It's not Mallorcan. There's a. It's a. There's a great word for it, mate. It's yeah, one of those well, really complicated Catalan. ones like Mancunian. Yeah, no, but it's a Mayo Domnos. Something like that. Something, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, so that. Adds, <laughs> so, so having another language. Save that for another podcast. <laughs> but but you know, it's like the thing is what came to my mind is like a lot of songs that I really like, uh, like sixties French, like the Yeah Yeah Girls. Some of them. I don't know what they're saying and what they're singing about, but the vibe on it is so great. And I thought that with Gallon singing in, in Spanish on the song, as long as it's got the yeah. attitude, then you can find out what it's actually about. And, and what's all the things she's saying when she's talking at the end of? Oh, and see, because you've been oh. talking about you've been talking about villains being yeah. down. On yeah, the no, Costa del she's Sol. she's slagging off the English. Oh, there you yeah. go. Tourists. Am, am I wrong to say that, that there's? Is it because obviously with the good the, the last good the bad and the queen album as well, which was very sort of you know post Brexit record. Yeah, is there an element of, of of a love letter to Europe about this as well? 
And is, oh, is, is that definitely. in your mind? Yeah, I'm I'm literally half European. It's like, you know, my grandfather on one side was from Liège, Belgium, and the other grandfather was um, from Whitby in Yorkshire. So Let's talk about just working with Damon and how, how that must be. So obviously, you know, you ended up in doing those two albums. Well, then you went on tour with the Gorillas as well, didn't you? And you it, both yeah. wore your front door key around your neck. What was that? Oh, that's from a kid. Wow. He's still Let, got it. Yeah, let's it's, keep, a, it's not the same house, that. though. That's <laughs> I, used to, I, used to, I used to have exactly that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And a bit of string. Yeah, yeah that's it, yeah. But, but how, was, how did that begin, that, that process of working with, with him? What, with Damon? Yeah. Uh, well, were you terrified initially? No, I sort of knew him a little bit. Not really. In, in fact, um, Chrissy Hind turned up with him at Joe's wedding. Joe Strummer's wedding, and uh, initiated a, a, a group hug between me, Joe, Damon, and Chrissy. And so that's the first time I probably met Damon. Now, Damon was working on a project. Do you meet a lot of people like that? Well, <laughs> group hugs, uh, with Chrissy, yes. <laughs> yeah. uh, but um, no, da Damon was uh, working on a project in Africa. It was not going the way he wanted, and he came back, and he was thinking about what he needed, and for some reason my name came up, so invited me over to the studio. Uh, we discussed lots of things about London and its history and where we live. And, and suddenly the project became the good, the bad and the queen. That's the point, yeah, but it's, which is not the was, band name, which wasn't the band name, no, was it? No, that was just like, so, yeah. yeah, it was the name of, of the record. But, but also, I mean, so it's the other one, so I'm sorry, mate, and as, then, a, as a bass player, this is what I'm right, I mean, Tony Allen. Yes, oh, man. What's that like? Yeah, Tony Allen, it was like, I remember in 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 uh, when we were recording the first album, I said, Damon, you know, on on this track, uh, this um, the bass and the drums are not quite working. He, and Damon said, uh, 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 well, well, you have to speak to Tony about that because that's your department. I went, oh, okay. So I went over to Tony, and I could tell everybody was like hiding in in the in the uh, control room, waiting to see what was going to happen. And I went to Tony. He said. Tony, you know, on this track, the rhythm, it's not quite working. And, and I said, so we need to change something. And Tony just said, I'm not changing anything. <laughs> I went, right, okay. Well, I'll just come up with another bass line. And so it all worked out fine. But then at one point, Tony said, Paul, there's a lot of people that think they're playing bass. And they're not. But you are. And was it a different way of working from, from working with The Clash? Was it completely... Uh, or Havana 3 a.m. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, it's a totally different way. Like Damon to have some ideas and, and we'd we'd sort of rehearse through them. Uh, and then new things would develop and Damon would be playing something on the piano. I said, Damon, why don't you try it on that keyboard? Oh, that sounds much better. And and it was like Damon's idea is whoever's got the best idea, let's use it. Mind you, it depends who who, who decides which is the best idea. Yeah. Because I but came, that's how he is working with But he's also, yeah. he's, I mean, he's got a serious quality control. I came to see you at the Roundhouse. And I remember, I think it was like the first song where he stopped it. Oh, yeah. He stopped really? and said, no, 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 no. And, and yeah, and you started the song again. Yeah. The audience like, always love that, don't yeah, Of course they, they love that. But, I, I, but you do not want to be on that stage at that moment, do you? I mean, he's done that a few times, but oh, to right? other people. Right. And I go, ah, you're not getting me. <laughs> and how is it? You're not that far away. But how was it going out with with gorillas? That's that must be a whole different thing with the screen and the car, and the cartoon stuff going on. Is it? Aren't you all sort of working to click tracks and? Well, not really. Well, the drummers are, so we're responding to what the drummers are doing. Right. So there's a bit of free form to, to what 
do with the bass and guitar. Obviously, there's, I mean, you know, that was a difficult one because it was sort of like, I had to sort of learn some like 45 songs uh, and, and then it got stripped down to 30 and then 25. Um, but uh, it was amazing. I think probably the most amazing thing was, was the cast of characters on stage. Yeah, and you had like, Mick out. Well, yeah, because well, that... And Bobby Womack, Lou yeah, Reed. Yeah. Uh, and there was one moment in when we was playing, I think it was Carnegie Hall somewhere, and Lou Reed was singing and, and I was wearing the sailor outfit you know, the striped top, yeah, the yeah. cap, and I was going up to Lou, because I always had that thing where you stand by the singer, sort of protect him, sort of like. Nice. And uh, he was singing. And, God, and, old habits die hard, eh? And, and, <laughs> and he sort of looked round at me and, and, and sort of suddenly stopped singing. And I realised, <laughs> I sort of looked a little bit like the back of the Transformer round. <laughs> 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 Fantastic. Because you, obviously Mick Jones played on that tour. Yes, well, yeah. You, I remember I mean, you, you I mean, gave me a lovely description of him about how you said he said he loved it, and you you said it's like the end credits of Dad's Army. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I just <laughs> I just don't know what happened to your relationship, obviously, because Mick gets kicked out of the Clash at one point in the eighties. Yeah, me, me. And did you fall? Did you did you fall out completely after that? No. Or during we, that? Well, we we just had time off. I mean, we should have had a break. We didn't. We yeah. worked nonstop for seven years. It was like a mission rather than a band. Right. And it was, uh, and it was literally because I remember Joe used to say he wishes it had taken a little bit longer to to get up. Yeah, you, you were just from naught to a hundred. Uh, you know, you know, we're rash, and it was like, you know what, I can't stand this anymore. Wait for Mick to come down, and he admits, you know, it's like as Joe said, it was like it's like going on tour with Elizabeth Taylor in a filthy mood, and it's true. <laughs> uh, but in the end, it was like for us, it's like you know what, should we chop our right hands off? Yeah, let's do it. So Mick, yeah. We want you out, and uh, and then you know, in some ways it worked out quite well for Mick because then it woke him up and it got him involved in BAD. BAD was, yeah, it was yeah, fantastic, yeah, yeah. I know. And then and, and you went straight to busking. Yes, that's it. Which was just <laughs> as brilliant. Great, yeah. That was brilliant. That was sort of like, um, that was like the first Clash tour, doing the busking because it was real and it yeah, was, yeah. yeah, it wasn't padded out with chicken deliveries or pizzas or, or like limousines or all that sort of stuff. It People refusing to move until the score turns up. I just want to show you a few covers. I dug these singles out on the way here. Any, if you have any memories of what went on here in, look at that. That's, that was a great record, wasn't it? Clash City Rockers. I mean, yeah, that, these, are these photos from this Antiques Roadshow? Road this is Antiques Roadshow. <laughs> yeah. But I was also well, going to mention some of the producers. Here, I was hoping we'd have one. Yeah, I've got some here. It's just like sort of, well, do you know, Warren, no, I yeah. want to throw in, before, before we end, yeah, I want to throw okay. in a personal thing, right? Which I've got, this is the measure of the man that this is, which is that it was about 18 years ago now uh, when I decided I was going to try and do a stand-up show. And I did this members dinner at the Groucho Club, right? Where I, people came to that dinner. And then I told a few stories and it was horrible and I hated it, but it went really well and I ended up getting on Radio 2 and then Edinburgh and everything. But I came downstairs and I was in a right state. I was having a few stiff drinks to calm down. And this one rocks up, right? You clearly haven't been, he did it something more culturally significant my thing and we were having a, a lovely chat as we want to do and for some reason it came up i said oh guess what as a good luck charm i was wearing john entwistle's watch so i showed and i, I, I had john entwistle's old watch and you went oh well, if you've got one bass player's watch you should have another and you took off this watch and gave it to me oh there you go which i still have to this day <laughs> wow that's amazing there story. you go <laughs> are you going to go out on tour with yeah this hopefully album? let's see how it goes i mean you know i mean yeah it'd be nice to do some shows but i don't really because uh, you got a band, haven't you? Really, got yeah. Simon. I mean, what I really liked uh, on the the last um, 
tour that I did with Damon uh, for the Good Band the Queen is that we did a load of shows up like Hartlepool, Newcastle, right around there um, on the East Coast. It's like amazing. That's yeah, yeah. Like working men's clubs. Brilliant. That's really great. So that might be. Yeah, I'm definitely up for the going up there again. Do you think they've they've softened in their Brexit? Uh, uh, <laughs> well, you know that was probably quite interesting for them and us. Is like it was like a musical debate in some ways. Yeah. Us being yeah, there yeah. Uh, and just talking about it, you know. And uh, yeah, so we'll probably do some shows there. We might do one in London and maybe a bistro in Paris or something. Fantastic. Well, thanks for coming on, Paul. Yeah, yeah well, thank really you very really much. And thanks for bringing us together in real life. Yes, I know. Hey. Because, <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, this is just feels so unique to be... Well, I, I thought it would be a good idea, just in case somebody was going to say something a bit wrong, then I'll, at least I can reach one of you from here. <laughs> <laughs> he's got Jay. old habits die hard. Yeah, JJ, <laughs> you listening? It was, he's been massaging his throat all the way through, <laughs> I'd like to point out. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, mate. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, I was say what mate. you've been doing. <laughs> That was, that My car's was... here. <laughs> <laughs> he looked pretty cool, didn't he? In his uh, pinstripe suit. He's, that's well, that's that's his shtick that has been know, for you know for a long and, time. And this is a thing I like right about all the people from that I know from punk bands is that unlike their predecessors, they're always beautifully turned out. I want to talk to you about that picture again because you know the smashing of the bass guitar yeah. and you know Pete smashing his guitar and of course you know he definitely told me it was, he thought it was his spare. He did. He definitely told me that. Yes, but like I said, this was late. No, he at night. said he actually didn't. He said, "You're my spare." <laughs> <laughs> no, but listen, this I just want to. I just want to. I just want to talk to you about that because why do you think we're so fascinated with, so energized by rock stars smashing their instruments? I mean, when I was a kid, your instrument was so important to you. No, exactly, and that was because you forget that that when Pete used to do it. There used to be all these letters from people absolutely outraged. And it, it was. I mean, it, it's, you know, and Rickenbackers, man, they were a fortune for, you know, the likes of you and I. Just getting a guitar was so hard. And the idea, you know, getting a T-shirt. But we still, we, we love sacred, what he's doing. And it gives him power, doesn't it? It's saying like, you know, I can get another one tomorrow because I'm up on this stage and you're down there. Yeah, I don't think it's even that. I think it's just to do with the moment. There's just something so sort of, it's like a sacred frozen moment. Also, when Pete not... started doing it, guitars weren't precious then, really. Not as precious as they are now. Everyone wants to know where that SG is that he, he smashed yeah, yeah. on stage at Woodstock. Do you know where it is? Uh, no, I don't. But I did, ha I did actually have one of his SGs for a while. One's, one of the ones he used in England. But he did, he actually didn't smash them very often. But the the... the the head of it was really mashed up from where he'd been stuffing into. Yeah, so there's really two. There is the picture of, of Pete with the guitar behind his back. Yeah. And that is probably second iconic. But that's what photograph. it is. It, yes, it is. But I, and it's not so much this about This guitar the is about to die, like, isn't it? What's, what's that? Oh, this guitar's got seconds to live. Seconds to live. Yeah. And it's, um, I think it's more, it's, it's like, it's just the drama of the pose, isn't it? It's like great footballing photo, football photos or something. It's totemic. Just, totemic. That's what it is. That's what it is. It's, it becomes a weapon. Yeah, and that's how we saw the guitar. You know, it's an axe. I mean, it's a weapon. Yeah, and I'm not going to smash mine. Uh, I, I think I did once on the TV show, but it was it was rented and it was cheap. And we got in trouble with the producers afterwards. Well, I've got a long story about the one I tried to smash at Earl's Court. Well, which can you make turned it short? Was made of, I'm not going to tell it here. It's in my book. <laughs> oh, my God. Is this an advert for the book? <laughs> it's, on my, it's, probably, it's probably on YouTube. It's probably on YouTube. We'll Guy get, Pratt smashing bass story. We'll get there next time or some stage. Um, say thank you to the people at Warners who uh, put yeah, all this together for us today. We actually have this very elaborate crew today, which is we're looking at now. Fabulous, gorgeous looking people. And are. of course, 
Ben Jones from Gimme Sugar Productions. And, and also, you know, I'm just reminding people to follow us on Instagram and Facebook and Twitter. We are there. We, we put up stuff all the time during the week, if you, if yeah, you don't. The, yeah, we always put up little bits and pieces, and we do love to read your comments when they're nice. 100%. Thank you, and we'll see you next week. It's good night from me. It's good night from them. Thanks awfully. Rock on Tours is produced by Gimme Sugar Productions for Warner Music Group UK. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.